Good morning. I'm Bob Martin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, let me be among the first to wish you a happy new year. Uh, I am grateful for this past year uh, in large part because in September was when our uh, first little baby, Emmeline, was born uh, to me and my wife. So like a good first time father, I did bring a photo um, for all of us today so we can get some oohs and ahs to start our new year off right. Uh, But for most of us, uh, this new year was probably one that we wanted to celebrate more than many before. Uh, There may be some of us who say, man, I skipped the last 10 years of celebrating New Year's, but boy, you celebrated this week because 2020 was over. Um, You may have felt like uh, Time Magazine did just a couple of weeks ago when on the front cover it said, 2020, the worst year ever. We feel like we need something this year, don't we? And what do we need? What do we feel like we need? For some of us, even though, as as Pastor Mark mentioned, we are kind of coming out of a holiday vacation, with all that's gone on, we may say to ourselves, man, what I really need is our regular vacation this summer down to Florida or Georgia or wherever it is. Some of us may say, man, what I need is just an end to this pandemic. This is scary, man. I need need a vaccine to go out to see people healed or, or this prevented them protected. Some of us say, man, I need to spend time with my friends and the people that I love again. I need to go to my favorite restaurant. I need to not have a barrier of a big mask in front of my face all the time. Some of us might say, I need healing, whether physically or emotionally, from all that I have gone through in these past few months. So whether it's a vacation or a vaccine or something else that we're feeling, I'm here to ask us the question today, what do we need this year? In order to get a clear answer to that question, we're going to rewind the tapes of history and go to a Middle Eastern mountain with a man named Moses. And we're going to step into the dark cloud of God's presence, and we're going to hear God himself tell us, what we need. You want the spoiler? We need a merciful God. That's the big idea of today's passage. We need a merciful God. And we're going to uncover two realities of that need in this passage. The first of them is in verses 1 through 7, and that is God is merciful. So go ahead and flip there, if you would, two verses, one through seven. And we're going to see just in the first five verses, verses one through five, that his actions show us that he's merciful. So right there in verse one, we we drop into this story in Exodus 34 with the Lord coming to Moses on Mount Sinai. And here's what he says to him. Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. God's referring to the fact that he's already spoken to Moses once on the mountain and given his divine law for his people. This was back in Exodus chapters 19 through 31. But then in chapter 32, Moses descends the mountain and he hears, then sees God's people worshiping a golden calf. And he becomes so angry, he breaks the tablets with the Lord's words on them on the ground. The story could end there. But it doesn't. 
Moses knows that he and God's people need a restored covenant with the Lord if they're gonna move forward. And that's exactly what the Lord insists upon here as well. God himself will write again the law on tablets of stone. And this time Moses is gonna have to cut them out for himself and remember that he broke them on the ground and they broke them in their heart. Moses has to go up alone into God's presence. And verse five says, and God descended in the cloud and stood with him there. If we had to stop here, what would we know about the Lord? After all, we don't have just a book of descriptions and propositions about God. We have a living history of the actual actions of God. His actions show us that he disciplines his people, but he won't let them go. His actions show that he's a God of second chances. His actions show that he is merciful. But that's not all. Now in verses five through seven, which we're gonna spend a little bit more time on, his words show that he's merciful. So let's read in the middle of verse five, where it says, and the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now let's pause here for just a second. If you were to describe the Lord, what would you say about him? For some of us who have maybe been Christians for many years, having put our trust in Christ, we've studied the Bible for lots of years, we might launch into one of the omnis. God's omnipresent, he's in all places. He's omnipotent, he is all power. For newer in our Christian spiritual journey, we might say, you know, Bob, I don't know. I'm actually still figuring out what God is really like. Or for suffering, and we've been grieving, and we've been heartaching, we might want to ascribe to the Lord the same words that we would use of the person that's hurt us. Or maybe just let our feelings tell us, well, this is what it feels like God is like. But when God himself descends and he tells the name of the Lord, that means his character, who he is, what does he say? Let's read it, verse six. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's who the Lord is. God is merciful. This summary of God's character is referenced all over the New Testament. In fact, it becomes Israel's working definition of who God is. So it's worth it for us to comb through what exactly these verses say about the Lord. So let's do that. Verse six starts by saying, the Lord, the Lord. Now, this title for God with small capitals in most of our English translations refers back to the name of God that he already revealed to Moses way back in the burning bush of Exodus chapter three. I am Yahweh, the self-existent, self-sufficient God. 
He doesn't need anything. We depend on him. As the 18th century pastor Charles Simeon put it, never, till we've learned to acknowledge and adore his sovereignty, shall we be able to rightly appreciate his love and mercy. But this name of the Lord is also, as one commentator put it, his salvation name. He's Yahweh, the the covenant Lord, the deliverer of his people. If you were to look back and read the first chapters of Exodus, that God who's gonna pull his people out of Egypt, out of slavery says, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna prove myself so that those around, including Egyptians, will know that I, I alone am the Lord. So what is this Lord like? There's seven attributes he shares. First, in verse six, to the unseen, he is merciful. Listen to these verbs that the Lord uses at that burning bush back in Exodus chapter three. The Lord says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them. There's sympathy in God. He sees and hears and cares about our situation, especially in our weakness. Psalm 103, the same Psalm that Jake just read a few moments ago, describes it this way. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. No surprise, I can't help but think of my three-month-old daughter alone in a dark room in her crib, wrapped up like a little baby burrito, crying out with tears streaming down her face until my wife or I enter the room and turn on the lights and rush to her side and say, oh baby, no tears, no tears. Boy, if you feel unseen right now, if you've been struggling, if you've been suffering, and I know probably all of us at some level have struggled to some degree in these last few months, but especially for you brothers and sisters, I'm praying for many of you guys, prayed for many of you guys on the way to church this morning who are struggling. You need a merciful God to come to you and say, no tears, I'm here. He is merciful. Second, to the undeserving, he's gracious. Verse six, If you got two hands available to you, I want you to do this. Take these and put them together like this. Grace means, we only half of you are doing this, so you guys get extra credit. All right, okay. Put them together like this. Grace means we have zero to contribute, right? It's the other party that's giving all of it. Okay, so how many of you are students? If you're a student in elementary, junior high, high school, college, graduate school, any students? I know there's a bunch in here. Okay, cool. A lot of students in here. Uh, David Platt offers this story about a student to prove what grace is. He says, grace is not when a student hands in their assignment a day late and says, oh man, prof, teacher, can you show me a little bit of grace on this late assignment? No. Grace is when the student doesn't do anything The teacher writes the paper, grades the paper, and gives them an A. That's grace, right? We are not as great as we think we are. We are much more like what Winston Churchill had sentiment for the then prime minister when he said, he is modest. He has much to be modest about. 
That's us. And some of us need this word today, especially spiritually, as we have these aspirations for our New Year's of all the great things we're going to do or accomplish or how special we are. Do you get how big of a zero you are today? How empty you are by yourself. You have a lot to be modest about. You need someone to give you everything. He is gracious. Third, to the ungrateful, he is patient. Verse six continues by saying the Lord is slow to anger. This is a vivid way to say that he's patient. God does respond to sin in his right anger, but he isn't volatile. When he acts against evil, it's deliberate. He's never out of control. Uh, Peter, in the New Testament, says it this way in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, wishing not that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How long is it taking you to change? As you look at kind of New Year's resolutions and goals, what, what about spiritually? Have you been like Israel, complaining about something, grumbling about something. And boy, 2020 has given us plenty of opportunities to do that. So intent and stubborn on on wanting what you want. You need a God who is slow to anger. He's patient. Fourth, to the undesirable, he's loving. See this in verse six, as it says, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God abounds in love. It's a fountain pouring out of him. It's just like the song we sang. It's never going to run out. His love overflows. And this word of steadfast love here, it happens all throughout the Psalms, all throughout the Old Testament. Steadfast love is is the coupling of God's covenant commitment and his merciful love. It's almost like it's his covenant compassion, or his loyal love. Not only does verse 6 say this, verse 7 says this. He's not just abounding in steadfast love, he's keeping steadfast love for thousands. It's durable. It lasts, how long? For a thousand generations. So generations, 20 years, that's that's from Moses' day to us, plus 16,000 more years. Right? And it's not going to end then either. I'll borrow the words from Psalm 136. Say it with me if you know it. His steadfast love endures forever. Man, if you long to experience love from someone that's going to last, no matter how undesirable you might be, he keeps loving us. He is loving. Fifth, To the untrusting, he's faithful. Verse six continues, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is his truthfulness. God's always trustworthy. He's true to his promises. He follows through on his love. Do you feel untrusting? You feel right now just doubtful that anyone has your best interest? God is true. He is faithful. 
Sixth, to the untrustworthy, he's forgiving. Verse seven says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Forgiving here is the picture of having something lifted off of you and that burden carried away. And it says that God does this with our iniquity anytime we turn away from him and our transgression when we step over the line and act like a traitor toward God and just our sin generally, any of it when we fall short of God's glory. Why in the world does it list all three words for sin here? Because he forgives it all. I am certain that there are people worshiping right now And you're thinking to yourself, there's a sin I have in my life that God can't forgive. He can. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And he removes your real sin and he really takes it and puts it forever far away. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says. He's forgiving. But there is one more attribute as well. Seventh. To the unrepentant, he is just. Verse seven continues, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Brothers and sisters, to understand God, we have to be able to have more than one idea and hold it in place at the same time. He's merciful and he is just. These are his perfections toward us. And this, by the way, wasn't new to Moses. God had already said this in the second commandment back in Exodus 20. But this verse does bring up two problematic questions that we have to answer. Problem number one, if God forgives, but by no means clears the guilty, well then who are the guilty that God forgives and who are the guilty that he doesn't forgive? Thankfully, we have two other passages that quote from this verse to help us understand it. First, in Joel chapter two, the prophet Joel is calling out to Israel in the midst of their sin, telling them to repent and turn back to the Lord. Why? Because then God will be gracious and merciful in verse 13 there. And not only that prophet, but then in Jonah chapter four, oh man, the prophet Jonah is frustrated with God because of the repenting Ninevites of another country, they're actually going to experience the fact that he is gracious and merciful. In verse two there. So now, who will be forgiven? Those who repent and receive God's mercy. And whom does God not clear? Those who do not repent and refuse and push away God's mercy. Problem number two, what does it mean that God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children? Are children punished for their parents' sins? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, there's a verse that actually says, sounds like it says the exact opposite. It says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. Well, how can these verses coexist? because they have different contexts. So they help us understand one another. In Ezekiel 18, the son does not walk in the footsteps of his father. So he's not punished. 
Similarly, actually in Exodus, back in the 10 commandments of Exodus chapter 20, verse five, God himself does say, yes, I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, but five words are added there. Of those who hate me. So what's the answer? Any child who continues in the ways of his parent who's sinning against the Lord will share in the punishment of his parent. Any child who repents of them won't. And haven't we seen this? Patterns of sin and brokenness that heartbreakingly continue generation after generation. Anger, alcohol, abuse, all kinds of problems. Children are susceptible to the sins of their parents. So brother or sister, if you're a parent, or if you hope to be a parent someday, maybe you're single or married, be on guard. Children are susceptible to our sins. But if I asked, I could see hands all over this sanctuary and in living rooms on the live stream that would say, you know what, Bob? God is making true something in my life and in our family that was not like the family I grew up in. It was not like the family that my parents grew up in. And that is his grace. Brother, sister, especially if you're feeling stuck or hopeless right now, if you're a parent, listen to this. When we repent and turn to God's mercy, our branch of the family tree gets a completely different blossom on it. Yes, God punishes those involved for three or four generations, but he is merciful for a thousand generations. All this leaves us wondering now, how do we respond? If God's really like this, then what do we do about it? What did Moses do about it? In verses one through seven, if we discover the reality that God is merciful, then now in verses eight and nine, we discover the reality that we need it. <laughs> what did Moses do? Well, first he worshiped in verse eight. It says this, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Man, I love that. I love that the word quickly is there, right? What do you do when you're on the mountain and you ask God to see his glory, which Moses did in chapter 33, and God comes and descends in a cloud and shares his glorious name with you? You move fast and you put your head to the ground and you worship. We need worship. And by this, I mean all three spaces of worship. I'm talking about Sunday worship, right? Just like what we're doing this morning. Are you committed to being here in this sanctuary or in this live stream, worshiping together, singing loud, right? My wife will tell you, yes, he makes a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? You're singing with your heart, praying, right? Ready to ingest God's word. I need Sundays. We need Sundays. But second, worshiping community. Are you in a small group? After this year of isolation, have you said, man, I need to find hope together with others? Or for some of you who wanna get engaged in this church family, are you feeling God's nudge of saying, I wanna be a leader 
of worship and community. I want to lead a group. I want it to be my couch or my coffee table where brothers and sisters are pouring out their heart and praying to the Lord, right? It makes me think of a sister that I, uh, she's becoming a small group leader here this month. Talked to her a couple of weeks ago and she said she's especially excited to be building stronger relationships with those in this group and fostering a sense of growing together. I love that. Isn't that what we do together? And isn't that what we need together? Or a brother who just started as a small group leader last month who said, man, Bob, I love the fact that I can find hope through other people's journeys. And I wanna make sure I say this right. He said that I can understand biblical truths better by hearing them from others. Is that you? Right? Sometimes you struggle rattling around in your own brain, but man, I can understand biblical truths better when I'm with others. And they're even speaking them into my life. I hope that God calls some of you today into community worship and to lead in community worship. And the third space, daily worship. Oh, let's join arms this month in reading the New Testament as Pastor Mark has encouraged us to do, doing this together and discovering all that Jesus is so that we can worship with our heads to the earth. So first we worship. But then what does Moses do? In verse nine, he petitions. Our passage basically goes like this. The Lord says, this is who I am. And Moses says, give us that. Did you notice that he petitions for three things here pretty clearly? Give us, Lord, we need your presence. We need your pardon. We need to be your possession. And we need those things too, don't we? We need your presence, as it says in verse nine. And Moses said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. God told Moses in chapter 33, just before, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? God's presence is what makes us really God's people. Brothers and sisters, if you're a part of God's people, you're part of a distinct people. And we're not distinct because we don't suffer like others. We're not distinct because we have more money. We're not distinct because we look squeaky clean. We're distinct because we have the very presence of God within us and among us. Outside of that, we'd be like every other group on the planet. And yes, by the way, God does give Moses and Israel his presence in the tabernacle that you see, they get instructions and then build it in the rest of Exodus. But we've been given something greater. Jesus came as we celebrated, looking forward to it in Advent and then on Christmas. And as the beginning of John's gospel says in John chapter one, he, Jesus, tabernacled or dwelt among us, making God's presence here. And he lived faithfully and he died for us and he rose from the dead. And before he ascended to heaven, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, he gives a promise and he says, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christians have the promised presence of Jesus with us every day, through every suffering, in every year. 
by his Holy Spirit. So let's live 2021 as if we are a distinct people in Jesus's presence. And notice that Moses adds one more thing to this petition for God's presence. For it is a stiff-necked people. It's like my, my three-month-old daughter, three-month-old daughter who, when I hold her, she cranes her neck to look at the lights instead of looking at me when I hold her, right? God's people are stubborn. Our necks are made of iron, looking away from what would be most beneficial to us. Are you stiff-necked as you enter this year? Do you have parents or a spouse or friends that have been trying to tell you something over and over and you don't care about them or God? Oh, friend, please make this year the one where you listen and repent. You may have a parent or a spouse or a friend that's been praying for you this week and interceding for you that you would repent and turn to the mercy of God. And if you are that parent or that spouse, keep interceding. God really is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and he works even if it takes time. Moses doesn't stop there though with God's presence. We need your pardon. He says in verse 9b, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. God, if you say you forgive sin, pardon ours. That's what we need. And yes, by the way, God does give Moses and Israel an entire system where they can give to God blood offerings to allow them to be forgiven in the book of Leviticus. But we've been given something greater. In Jesus, it says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Some of you have dragged something in with you today. You dragged it in from last year into this year. And it's a sin that you're holding on to. And maybe you're holding on to it because you don't want to tell other people about it. Or maybe you're holding on to it because you don't think that God can forgive it. Or maybe you're holding on to it because you don't want God to take over and then you can't run back to it. Today's your day. Tell God, I need your pardon for this. And if you're trusting Christ through Jesus, through his blood, you have the forgiveness of your trespasses. And friends, for some of you who are not Christians, or maybe who thought you were until you realized, I've never made the concrete step of talking to God and telling God, I need him to forgive all my sins because Jesus suffered on the cross and I'm trusting in that. Man, Today is your day. This year is your year, making 2021 the year where you start your relationship with this merciful God. He wants us to be his possession. So you may feel exactly like one of the places we described earlier, unseen, undesirable, untrusting. But did you know that these verses of God's character are quoted in both Psalm 103, which is a praise song, and Psalm 86, which is a lament song, proving that God's character meets us wherever we are at. 
God doesn't want to return you like a holiday gift. He wants to make you a part of his possession. And then when you're trusting Christ, you're a part of his possession forever. Until that day, when like it says in the very last book of the Bible, we'll hear a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No tears. Him with us forever. Brothers and sisters, it's not a new year that we've needed. It's this God. We need a merciful God. And guess what? We've got one. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for showing and telling your character to us. We need you as our merciful God. And thank you for Jesus, who gives your mercy to us. Would you let us now respond like Moses did in worship? For great is your mercy. Great is your steadfast love and your faithfulness, Lord, unto us. Amen.